The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Dr. Craig Troxell. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. So we are in 1 Corinthians 13. We are still in verse 4, believe it or not. Verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father, again, uh, we come to your living and active word, and we pray for its ministry in its hearts. May your spirit be at work there. Uh, to show us not just the things that uh, we know, nor the things that we have forgotten, but the things that we need to learn and to see. We wish this, Father, so that we might truly follow in the footsteps of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, So some of you are familiar with the idea of when a meeting goes into executive session. Uh, The idea is that what happens behind closed doors is supposed to stay there. Uh, That never happens. It uh, leaks out. Uh, What happened there was supposed to be secret, but it somehow seems to find its way out beyond uh, the doors of that room. Uh, Jay Dowman, his book on the Ten Commandments, says our heart is the same way. And we have many secrets there. Uh, Proudful thoughts, selfish thoughts that we try to lock down, uh, but inevitably they find uh, their way out. Uh, They come out principally through our mouth. And this is exactly what our our Savior says in Matthew 12, 34. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we have an opportunity this morning to see how this actually works out in what we see here in chapter 13 with these two words of boasting and and arrogance. And we're going to take them in reverse order to try to use this as an example of what Christ is talking about, that what is in our heart inevitably comes out through our mouth. And these two things link up quite nicely as we think of the heart of pride, but also the voice of of pride. So he says here, love is not proud, or love is not arrogant. The NIV has proud. Other versions, like the King James, ASV, um, convey what perhaps is most literally understood here, and that is that love is not puffed up. And that's very helpful. It's a good graphic image, because uh, what it conveys is that The the problem with arrogance, it means, is we have an exaggerated sense of our importance, an inflated view of things. And so this word puffed up, it does kind of grab this idea of when we're pumping air into something in order to inflate it. We may say this of a person, well, he's full of hot air. Um, And what we mean by that is that person is is full of themselves. They have a big head. It's swollen. And the reason it is swollen is because it's inflated with self-conceit. They think too much of themselves. And we tend to do this. We think too highly of our own abilities, or we think too often of our own achievements. And there are all kinds of ways in which we can exhibit pride. We see this in Scripture. Uh, Goliath shows us one version of it. He shows us the disdain of pride when we condescend and look down upon another person. The Pharisees showed us the Uh, self-importance of pride. Uh, Nabal, Abigail's foolish husband, 
showed us the self-sufficiency of pride. Israel in the wilderness showed us the rebelliousness of pride. And the prodigal son's brother shows us the stubbornness of pride. And the problem with all these things, of course, is all of them are contrary to love, but specifically this idea of self-exaltation and self-promotion, self-importance. This is not the way of love. And the reason why is because pride leaves no room for others in the heart. It leaves no room uh, for others or for love. It's too busy admiring itself. It continues to inflate and to, and to fill the space. My wife and I just moved here last year uh, from a home in which we had raised five children, and we could not believe how much stuff we had. Uh, we'd moved from a house of less than 1,000 square feet, believe it or not, to this house of expanse of 2,400 feet. It seems unthinkable here in Southern California to have a house that big. And we had filled it over time with all this stuff. And this is the same way with pride. It just, it just expands and it continues to fill the space. It leaves no room for others. Now, the answer to this, the solution to this, is not to put yourself down. That's what some people feel like. That's the contrary instinct. I'll just put myself down. Well, that does not make you more humble. It simply makes you more boring. And besides, we all know what you're doing anyway. You're just fishing for a compliment. And that's false humility. That's not good either. There are better solutions, as we'll see in a, in a few moments. But now just stop here for a second. <clears throat> Arrogance is a problem in itself, but, but the problem with it is it just can't keep its mouth shut. It eventually wants to brag about itself. And that's what we see in this word boasting. It says love does not boast. When arrogance wants to put itself onto display, uh, boasting puts it into words. Uh, we know a conceited person by their talk. We could even say they talk us into it eventually. And so they want to tell us how good they are. It's like I heard uh, a minister a few weeks ago use this illustration of this lawyer who was arguing vigorously for his case. And the, and the judge said to him, why is it you want to win this case so badly? He said, because I'm the greatest lawyer in the world. And at the first break, his friend came up to him and said, when the judge asked you that question, how could you say such a thing? He said, I had no choice. I was under oath. I had to tell the truth. Or it's like the U.S. Olympian who went to the Olympics saying, I'm the greatest sprinter ever. Probably would have been wiser for him to talk about that after the race in which he came in third place. <laughs> and this is what Ahab is saying in 1 Kings 20. One strapping on his armor should not like boast like one taking it off. It was very arrogant. And of course, the ultimate arrogance are those that defy God uh, with rebellious boastful speech like in Psalm 14 or in the case of Sigmund Freud, who said, if I should ever meet God, and I do not think I will, he will have more to explain to me than I will to him. That's an ultimate arrogance. And you see, boasting's out of step with love as well. It's out of step with the gospel. All that we have, every blessing, every benefit that we have is from God. It's, it's God's gift to us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 Ask this question, what do you have that you did not receive? Think about it. What do you have that you did not receive? And then he says this. So why do you boast as though you did not? It's a searching question. And eventually it comes back to even how we understand salvation. The book of Romans tells us there are only two, two basic fundamental ways of understanding salvation. There is salvation by works. 
and there's salvation by faith. Somebody said there's a working plan, there's, there's a believing plan. And in the first plan, salvation by works, our confidence is where? It's in ourself. So that we will boast in ourself. But in the second plan, we receive God's free grace and humiliation. Why? So that we might boast in the Lord. Ephesians 2.8 tells us this is, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not from yourself. It's a gift of God. Why? So we might not boast in ourselves. So the gospel removes all boasting. But love shuns boasting. And so how can, we, how can we get at this? And I think it's, it's best to think of it this way. The one sure way to get at boasting is by going to the source and, and going right to the heart. Matthew twelve thirty four again, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, the, the heart is, is the fountain from which these words flow. That's where we need to go, uh, to go to the mind of the heart. Or perhaps we could put it this way, to go to the mindset of the heart. And you're asking, what, what do you mean by that? What is the mindset of the heart? Well, humility is a mindset. And that's what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves, that each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he's kind of mapping out this humility. Then he says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, that word there, have this mind for now, it has the connotation with it, this understanding that it's referring not just to thoughts, but to a mindset. I think NIV captures it with, with attitude, which is helpful. And the idea here is that we're talking about what is the direction of your thought? Or think of sailing. What, what tack are you on? What's, what's your line? Where's this going to take you? What's the trajectory? Where is this trending? Or as it's translated in some places in Scripture, where do you set your mind? You see, this is exactly what our Savior says to Peter in Matthew 16. He says, get thee behind me. He says, you have set your mind, not on the things of God, but on the things of men. Or in Romans 8, 5, it says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And you see... The New Testament is reminding us that we don't really have that many random thoughts. All of our thinking has an agenda. It comes with motives. We are committed to certain lines of thought. It's drifting in a particular direction. And this is extremely helpful and practical to us because it means there's many times we can catch ourselves amidst a very proud or arrogant thought and say, wait a second, stop, where is this going? It's not just where did this come from. We know where it came from, right? But where is this going? And stop and make room in our hearts for others, in our thoughts, in our hearts. Because again, pride leaves no room for others. It just keeps inflating. It's inflating the self. But humility, the humility of love, it makes room for others because it deflates the self. So we need that change of direction. That need, We need to reset our mindset. We need that mind of Christ which we read of in Philippians 2, it says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, made, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you see, it's giving us a window into the fact that he was Lord of all, became the servant of all, that he was the form of God, became the form of a servant 
that we, we have here is a reminder of the ministry of Christ, not one who came boasting of his divine privileges, but one who humbly walked this path of obedience that led him to the cross, that he deliberately and willingly and freely lowered himself in order that he might take upon himself the burden of our sin and suffer under the humiliation of sin. And see, this is love. This is what love does. It considers the needs of, of poor sinners more significant than his own life. To see the interests of those less than he is more significant than himself. So this is a path that, that you and I must walk. But we must also be encouraged that, as our Savior also says in due time, he says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That was true of Christ. will be true of us. The work of Christ did not end at the cross and humiliation. It continues at the throne of grace and exaltation. Philippians 2 says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given to him that name that is above every name, that every knee would bow before him and confess him as Lord, that this one who was Lord to the depths of shame is raised to the highest place of honor and glory. And that you and I both know now that Christ is seated above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And everything is underneath his supremacy, underneath his rule and his majesty. It's true of Christ, that he was humbled, was exalted. It's true of us, that all that follow in the footsteps of Jesus on earth will follow him in glory. <clears throat> if we were humbled like him and for him, we will also reign with him. And when we are with him in heaven, there's only one thing that will fill our hearts. It'll be love. And only one thing that will fill our mouths be his praise. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, again, we thank you for these brief moments that we've had together in your word. And Father, we, we know all too well the ways in which pride seeks to fill every place in our heart when we are not careful, when we are not deliberate, when we are not thoughtful, and when we are unloving. And so we pray that you would indeed fill our hearts with love and therefore fill our hearts with humility and a consideration and a true, genuine concern for others around us. And so we know in time, too, that our speech will reflect either our pride or our humility. And we pray this, too, would honor you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.